May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Uh, this past Wednesday, uh, Emily Collette, our associate rector, and I uh, ventured to St. Vincent's East, where we visited uh, with a parishioner who was dying, Nancy Sharp. May she now rest in peace. Uh, we went to go say, uh, I guess the jargon is last rites. We don't officially use that word in the Episcopal Church. We say ministration at the time of death, but last rites is a little easier to convey what we're talking about. Uh, anyway, we went and visited with Nancy and uh, made our way through an unfamiliar hospital. And on the way back here to Ascension, we reminisced about our CPE days. Uh, CPE is clinical pastoral education, and it's when uh, seminarians uh, basically spend three months as a chaplain resident in a hospital. Um, so there are always fun stories that come out of that, uh, or not so fun stories. Um, one of those stories uh, that I recalled on Wednesday involved my last night as a chaplain resident in a hospital. I was here at Baptist Princeton, uh, just down the road from Birmingham Southern. Uh, it was not a trauma center, so we didn't get a lot of wild cases in the ER, but this particular night, uh, someone was dropped off at the ER with a, f a fatal wound. It was gang-related, and um, the ER doctor wanted me to come with him to tell the family about the death. And I said, sure, where are they? And he said, they're outside in the parking lot. Was, it was like 10 o'clock at night, this was gang-related, and there were probably 50 family members grieving in the parking lot. And I said, do you want to go out to the parking lot to talk to this family? He's like, well, they're not coming inside. Someone needs to go out there and talk to them and be with them. And I said, okay. So uh, I followed this ER doctor who was wonderful with this grieving family. He taught me more about being a chaplain than I taught him. But ultimately, I tell this story is because this man knew what it meant to take up his cross and follow Jesus. Uh, to to put, put his own life, um, put the life of Christ ahead of his own life. Uh, now, taking up your cross, we, we talk a lot about that in the church, and I want to tell you what it's not. Uh, taking up your cross is not something that you involuntarily suffer from. It's not like a pre-existing condition. That's what we would call a thorn in our side. Uh, Rather, taking up our cross is really about letting go of control uh, and putting our life and livelihood in the hands of God. It's letting go of control of our own life and then giving that to God. Um, whose life would you, or would you rather have your life in God's hands or your hands? Maybe that's an, another way to think about it. Uh, now, taking up the cross is something you choose to take up, right? And we are, of course, we're given the grace to take it up by God, but it's something that we choose to take up. Now, for Jesus, it meant death. For a lot of his first followers, taking up the cross meant death. For some of us, it might, you know, present the prospect of danger, but for most of us, the consequences are not as dramatic. But I still, still think it's important for us as Christians to acknowledge the cost of taking up the cross. So for you, during the season of Lent, hopefully you've already been thinking about this, but what have you or do you need to give up or let go of 
in order to follow Jesus more closely, in order to take up the cross. It might be a physical thing, it might be a bad habit, it might be a destructive relationship, it might be your insatiable need to be right. Now, now don't remember this, it doesn't, we don't wake up one day and just decide to take up the cross. It's, a, it's sort of a lifelong spiritual journey. Jesus didn't just wake up one day and take up the cross. Peter certainly did. Today's lesson features Peter at the center. Uh, Peter um, is mad that Jesus doesn't choose to take up his sword, right? He thinks that this is going to be a military king. He's going to ride in on a white horse to defeat the Roman Empire. Uh, and then again, Peter fails when he denies Christ, uh, his, his king. Eventually, a long time later, Peter is crucified, but it takes a long time for him to get to that point. And you have to, you have to sort of remember, for Peter, you know, we have the, the, the hindsight, it's 2020. For Peter, he's right in the middle of this gospel. Uh, so far in Mark's gospel, it's all been about all the feel-good stuff. There have been healings and exorcisms and miracles, a lot of fanfare. There have been his greatest hits with the parables. He's besting the religious leaders at their own game. This is all really cool and fun. If this guy can do all that, then certainly he can defeat the Roman Empire. It's really hard to wrap your head around this fact that he's going to die and on three days rise again. Why isn't he conquering the Roman Empire? Well, remember, the Roman Empire is really just a symptom of a deeper problem in humanity. It doesn't matter whose name is in charge. It's, it's, we are all of humanity is infected with this insatiable desire to conquer the other, to be better than, uh, to seek revenge. That's sort of the human way. That's what, uh, that's what uh, Jesus is rebuking in Peter. Call it sin or call it survival instinct or maybe it's a little bit of both. Peter and everyone else expects Jesus to mount a white horse. James and John want him to rain down fire on the Samaritans. Uh, basically, they want him to continue that endless cycle of the oppressed becoming the oppressor. But on Palm Sunday, we see Jesus conquer this endless oppression in a different way, in that we're, he mounts a donkey instead. He wants to stop the cycle of violence and retribution the human way and introduce a new kind of power that really can break that cycle. The power of compassion and mercy and forgiveness, that's the divine way. And that's, what, that's the way we're called to when we follow Jesus, to take up our cross. And we spend our life learning what it means to take up our cross, to follow God in his goodness and in mercy. Um, there are all kinds of stages of spiritual growth, like sort of, sort of generally speaking, there's the coming to know Christ, growing in Christ, following Christ, and leading others to Christ. Those are sort of four stages of discipleship, so to say. And be mindful, they're not always linear. I think we're always somewhere on that spectrum being born again and again and again. Um, it's, a, it's a spiritual journey. Um, but eventually it becomes a part of who we are. Uh, I've, I've probably, you've probably heard this a few times from me, but there's this really good quote on habits that I read recently. Humans are very much creatures of habit. God made us this way so that we don't have to re rely solely on good judgment and decision-making each time a situation arrives. Instead, we can train our bodies, our minds, our souls to habitually do the right thing. Uh, as we follow Jesus and practice his ways, his life becomes a part of our life. Uh, and when we take the, the body and the uh, blood at this altar, we, we are consenting to taking on 
that life. We aren't just learning about Jesus and following Jesus, but we start to embody Jesus. Discipleship becomes less and less about learning about God and, learn, and more and more about living in and with God. The more we let Jesus' life, death, and resurrection take a hold of our life and our ways, the more loosely we can hold on to those earthly things that no longer serve us. The more loosely we can hold on to those earthly things that only serve to get in the way of following Jesus. Now, if you're like me, then you live your life with your feet in both worlds, one in the kingdom of heaven and one in the kingdoms of this world. All of this practicing our faith stuff, all this following Jesus stuff is preparing us for that moment when we have to take a choice to have, one, to have both feet somewhere. Now, we might not have time to make a pros-cons list. We might not have a time to consult with a friend. But generally speaking, the human way looks for the path of least resistance or around the cross. The divine way does not back down from a challenge and seeks the heart of the matter, which is through the cross. The human way might look good on the outside, but it's rotten on the inside. The divine way may look like scary on the outside, but on the other side, it's the way of life and peace. So as you learn to take up your cross, especially in those moments of decision, uh, do not forget that everyone around you is struggling with the same things, facing the same challenges. Jesus called us to be a part of community. He, he gathered the 12, and then he sends them out. He gathers and sends as a community. The Jesus Project is so much bigger than you and your personal relationship with God. The, the Jesus Project is about salvation for the whole world. But that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't want to make it personal. God wants to know you in the flesh, and Jesus is proof. Because after all, you might be the reason that someone chooses to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Amen. And now we continue with the